welcome to Season 5 of the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen Tang, your host, and in this podcast, together we explore and enjoy conversations, entrepreneurship, creativity, and leadership. In our businesses, our careers, our passions, and especially our visions, you're invited to learn a lesson with us. So on today's episode, we have the beautiful Yumika Hoskin on the show. She's a model, she's a host, a content creator, and an entrepreneur. So your classic multi-hyphenate. Yumika has been in the entertainment space for the past four years and has worked with some incredible brands including SK2, Dyson, Superdry, Clarence and much more. She's also presented for various networks including the likes of MTV Asia, the Premier League and ESPN. But what I really love about Yumika is how she's since used her social media platform and her large following to educate and advocate for environmental causes. She's a true eco-warrior, voicing for what she stands for, including the growing issue of plastics. Motivated by her passion to do her part for sustainability and conservation, she's launched her own business called Pico Bag in 2019. Pico Bags are reusable, foldable bags created from regenerated textiles. So if you're building a career in the entertainment or modeling industry, or are interested in building a personal brand for specific advocacy, or just want to learn more about the sustainability industry and living a more conscious lifestyle, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Eureka. Hello. Great intro. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. So Eureka is currently, she's moving, she's Mm -hmm. leaving Singapore. You've been living here for... Five and a half years now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. I mean, when I first moved here, I I really told my friends in Australia I was moving for two years and then two years went by in like a blink of an eye. And then I was like, I am not moving back to Australia. (laughs) Like I am very happy here. And here I am. I am moving to, we're not too sure exactly yet, but the first step is New York. Yeah. So, you know, can't really beat New York. And mm-hmm. now we're still in lockdown. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, Yumika and I actually met through some mutual friends. Quite sad, really got to know each other. After so sad. Soon. But a close friend of ours was the creator and producer for a TV series known as Supermodel Me, which is kind of like the Asia's next top model, mm-hmm. right? So, Yumika was casted in this and... This brings me to how she said she started her career in modeling. So I'd love to know a bit more about the origin of your career mm-hmm. and the kind of small pivots you've taken since through acting, hosting, and now becoming a sustainability advocate and social entrepreneur. Mm, okay. So I think my passion for wanting to be a model really stemmed from a bit of an identity crisis growing up in Australia. So I'm half Japanese, half Australian, and there's really no representation of halfies back in the day. When I go to a cast, yeah. yeah and then I when there were so many it's, in Australia. Melbourne especially is multicultural, but you know, when you go to castings, I think it's changed a lot now, but when I went to castings, you would be the token Asian there that they're like, right. Oh, we might want an Asian just to look multicultural for this ad. But, mm. yeah, yeah. and then when you do go to a casting, sometimes it's you against, you know, 10 other Asian models, but there's always only one Asian model that seems to book all the campaigns. Right, so right. there wasn't, it was a bit of tokenism there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to become a model since I was 14, just because I wanted a, you know, self-identity and I thought I had a great look, but, and I guess it's this like want to want to be seen, mm-hmm. which really started it. So I modeled for a bit, 
agency didn't really give me that many opportunities. But what I did do is get all the Asian ads, which was great. This is still in Australia. Right? Yeah, this yeah. is in Australia. And then I did Project Runway there, which was my first, I guess, my first uh, experience of doing sort of television production, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. While I was doing university, I was studying fashion design. I started doing styling. And then from that, I still had that niggling feeling. I still, I still feel like I like didn't get my chance in modeling. I really wanted to get big. I really wanted to make it far. And I had met who's now my best friend, my friend Mel, who's half Chinese, half Australian, sorry, half German, half Chinese, Australian. And she was always the one being like, you know, you do so well in Asia. You should go to Bangkok. You should go to Singapore. You should go to Hong Kong. And that stuck with me. And then one day it was like maybe my second year of university. I was like, you know what? I asked the agencies to send me overseas. They never do. Mm. I'm just going to go and email every agency that I can find in Bangkok and try get a yes and try get a contract. And that's essentially how I even got my first modeling agency in Melbourne. And so got a contract. My friend Mel, who was dating her husband at that time, uh, Louis, sorry, husband now, <laughs> uh, they're, they're still together, but boyfriend at the time. And yeah. we all became this halfy family crew. We got an apartment together. We spent four months in Bangkok. It was the oh, most wow. amazing experience. And because I took that leap of faith is where I sort of ended up, you know, pursuing modeling more. And then I found out about this show randomly Googling. Cause I was like, I feel like, I feel like I'd be good on TV. I feel like I could do next top model or something. And then supermodel me came up and yeah. I was like, Oh, halfies on the show. It's me. I can do this. So I auditioned and made it to season four and we filmed in Hong Kong. And yeah, that's how I met my yeah. friend, our friend, Karen. Yeah. yeah. And then that was kind of the catalyst of everything. It, brought me to Singapore, brought me into television production because the production companies were like, you'd be really good as a host. Have you ever wanted to try it? And because my, you know, I had wanted to do these things and I made them happen by myself without anyone's help. I was like, yeah, I can be a TV host. So in 24, no, 2015, I saved up my money and pack my bags and move to Singapore to become a TV host with no oh <laughs> experience God. at all. So, yeah. And then since it's been amazing, Singapore has been so great for opportunities. I've been able to act here and obviously start my brand as well. Mm. But it's interesting that all my experiences from even styling, when mm. I first started doing TV presenting, I got all the styling shows. You know, modeling was such an advantage for me for even hosting as well. It's so interesting because you know I've seen I've seen the show and there's like one I remember there's one episode where they essentially get you to it's more so the commercial. I think it was a commercial and they got you to act out or learn oh, remember yeah. scripts or something. Yes. You did really well. Yeah. Funny because modeling people just think it's like one small discipline, but actually there's a lot of different types. There's like mm. runway, there's obviously editorial, there's mm-hmm. commercials, and there's so many different types. So I guess that do you feel like that show really helped you to kind of discover your love and natural ability for hosting? 
yeah being more communicative I I mean even as a model right like when it comes to commercials you have to be a silent actor yeah and that in itself is a skill to be able to emote without words without you know too much expression because we all have to look pristine in Asian ads (laughs) we can't be too ugly we need to look pretty ugly overly expressive you know yeah the Japanese ads where they just like But yeah, it's kind of interesting that it just all of the experience and all of the little skills you learn all tends to tie in together Mm. with what you end up doing. Yeah, so that I guess that was your first pivot to Mm. hosting. Mm -hmm. So why did you not stay in Bangkok? What made you want to move to Singapore? It was I had been told about Singapore from my friend Mel, and she was like, "It's just it's this like it's like." an expat Asia almost like it's so easy to live there it's so clean it's so green and then once I finally came here you I just had this like feeling being like yeah I'm gonna live here like this is I'm gonna be here like yeah a hundred percent and it was definitely the production company were in Singapore and so you know wanting to get into television production that Mm -hmm. was great I had another friend Justin who hosts here as well who was like oh yeah come over I'll mentor you so yeah it was yeah exactly and that's I feel like you taking that initiative and that kind of risk or or leap of faith in a way to actually be proactive and go and search for those agencies and Mm -hmm. has just been like the beginning of a a good kind of spiral in a way Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah definitely awards you and then so your next pivot so you kind of were doing hosting a bit of acting and modeling as well Mm -hmm. so how did you kind of get into the world of sustainability and deciding you wanted to be an advocate in the space Mm -hmm. and then obviously consequently go back I think it was just I think at the beginning when I started doing hosting, there was that ego side in me wanting to prove, like wanting to overextend my abilities and overprove myself. And, you know, I fell into that trap where nothing was ever enough. I would get a job, but I would, I'd be like, okay, but what's next? It needs to be better. I need to get a big show. I need to be a host of a big show. And so, you know, once I sort of removed that ego side, I also realized like in the entertainment industry, you get to a point where you want purpose. And this was a really good advice from a friend of mine called Sarah Ann, who was a host as well. And then she became a journalist and she was like, you get to a point where you really realize like entertainment is entertainment. But when you're in your thirties and forties, like what are people going to remember you for? Right? Like what is the purpose behind what you're doing? So again, wanting to sort of differentiate myself from everybody as as well. I wanted to be sort of a niche and known for something mm-hmm. and also something that's just bigger than the superficial entertainment industry. I think that naturally growing up in Australia and growing up around beaches, you are, you know, you get the first, you're confronted by plastic coming up onto Mm -hmm. the shore. And then being Japanese, like we always, my mom would always make our bentos and like your reusables and tie everything and reuse tissue paper and everything, you know? So that was kind of in my subconscious yeah yeah, ingrained and then it was really moving to Singapore that sort of 
was the catalyst of really seeing how much single-use plastic is used. Yeah, you know, you get your amazing. juices and you get the carrier for it and then you see someone discard it in like two seconds. And the straws, yeah. The like straws. Everything. One juice. Everything. Yeah. And so it was just getting to a point where I was like, why is there no product that can be somewhat of a solution to this? I knew I always wanted to start a business on the side. I just didn't really know what it was. Mm -hmm. And then I think that just going back to all the experience that I had, you know, grown into with, oh, I know how campaigns should be. I've been behind the scenes of photo shoots. I know what's a good marketing commercial. Yeah. I know how yeah, to, yeah. you know, I know how to well, speak I've to people. Yeah. Exactly. And I know how to be a people pe uh, person. I, I can sell things mm. quite like naturally. And so it was just one day where I was a little bit low in my, it was like a period where it was a two, two months or two or three months or so. There was kind of a low period of my self confidence mm -hmm. And it just hit me one day and I was like, oh my God, like I can be the solution. Like I should come up with, you know, a reusable tote bag that you'll never forget that fits in your pocket and that's made from regenerated textile mm -hmm. and shopping on, you know, everywhere that really wasn't anything that I thought was on par with what I was looking for. So I think with all entrepreneurship, it's always, you don't have or see the solution product that you want so you end up creating that right right it's interesting you said you always knew you wanted to start a business i kind of just want to double click on that mm -hmm. because i feel like a lot of people not everyone has that but a lot of people do say they feel they want to start a business mm -hmm. what did that feeling mean for you and and i guess it's just more so for the benefit of anyone listening who hasn't started one or has that deep desire to want to but they're like oh maybe it's just a feeling and it will go mm -hmm. away or, or should they listen to it because mm -hmm. some aren't not it's not for everyone mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. i think some people are unsure so i'd love to know maybe perhaps it's a little bit for my dad who's you know who teaches business yeah, I, see. I just think it's at, but like a uni or school yeah at high school uh, i think it was stemmed from my curiosity. Mm. I just know I'm not the nine to five person. And I think I've been a little bit spoiled doing, you know, I've done nine to five. I've worked in retail. I've worked as a waitress and I'm very good at it. And I love ticking off lists, mm -hmm. but I just loved having that freelance lifestyle of sort of like creating as well, creating your future, creating yeah. your space, creating your work. And so starting a business for me, you know, I don't really call myself a bag lady. I wouldn't say like, you know, oh, I, I sell bags. Like it's more just the, I'm selling the mission, which yeah. is kind of the core of it as yeah. well. And so, yeah, I just, I think it also helps that when I was launching it is when I met my partner now who has is a serial entrepreneur and he's startup junkie, I call him. Yeah. And he was just selling his business at the time that I met him. And right. so it was really interesting picking his brain about it. And the more he talked about business, I was like, ooh, you're sexy. <laughs> What is it called when you're attracted to someone's intelligence? Got like sapio. What is sapio that? Sapio sexual. Oh my god! <laughs> A word for that, I think. Let me just yeah. Sapio sexual is when you find intelligence sexually attractive. That's so funny, and it's funny because like he was the opposite. I used to date. <laughs> I'm sorry, but 
male models and not all of them are not all of them you know you should have had him on the show too it would have been hilarious yeah Rob is am I allowed to share he was the founder of yes 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 of Guava Pass which was basically Asia's version of Pass Pass which then got acquired got, class, yeah but amazing business I used to use it a lot when I first moved here actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah super big entrepreneur mm, so yeah, he was a good influence <laughs> yeah he's not a male model he's yeah, thank you <laughs> So, no, that's interesting. So, in a way, you you feel like he inspired you and got you kind of, yeah, into the entrepreneurial Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, spirit. mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, before we kind of delve deeper into Pico Bag, can you share some more practical tips for anyone who is maybe listening and is looking to take some sort of pivot or leap, Mm -hmm. whether that's starting a business or even like a career transition? Mm -hmm. You know, I think over COVID, there's been a lot of reflection time for a lot of people when people are kind of realizing that they're not happy in their jobs and they want to do something else. So mm-hmm. I feel like this would be quite helpful for mm. listening. I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, but I definitely have to say, you know, thank goodness I had that innocent curiosity and confidence when I was younger to do everything. Cause I think the older I get now, the more cynical I get and the more like, yeah. mm, you know, and like back then I'd be like, I just got even trying to get a modeling agency. Like I was just emailing them and writing them letters and sending, you know, printed pictures of me posing in a messy bedroom <laughs> at 12, 13 years old. Oh, I love that. And I look back and I'm like, where on earth did I get that confidence? Yeah. Like what? So I think it's, you know, take advantage of just being curious, I think, and also wanting to not live a regretful life. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the younger you are, the easier it is to do it. And like the more mistakes you get to get away with, you know, but I think it's just really important to sort of, it's about really reflecting and making sure that you don't listen to the noise of anybody else being like, Oh, I don't know. Like when I, when I told my mom, I wanted to start, you know, peek a bag, she was like, don't do that. It's stupid. And it's cheap bag. And and I was just like, Oh my God, you don't. And like every time I've had an idea, even when I wanted to model, she was like, it's a scam. We will not take you. Someone will kill you. You know, just, and and, you know, there's always not to go to my mom. Yes. And there's exactly. And that's the thing. It was like drowning out the people, the noise, whether even if it's like stemmed from ego of wanting to prove them wrong, Mm. prove them wrong. You know, and prove yourself right. Yeah. It's, it's a entrepreneurship is a very unique space. And, you know, you hear the horror stories. Oh, only a certain amount of percentage really makes it. But what a, what a tale to say in your life. Exactly. You know, even if you just want to try it, like just, you know, reflect on it for a while and just make sure you're a hundred percent committed to it. Cause you never want to start a business, you know, oh, maybe I'll get oh, bored of it in two, yeah. three, you know, two, three months. Okay. If it's something you want to do, just live, live it, do it without regret. Yeah. And I always question those stats when they say, you know, six, I think they say 65% of startups fail because mm. of co-founder or whatever, but what about all the other startups that they haven't included in the data? Mm-hmm. There's so many out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and there's so many different types. And I think they, those stats very much focus on tech focused ones, mm. like well, IPO or exit, but there are different types of entrepreneurship. Even know? Etsy is yeah, full exactly. of entrepreneurs. Like even if it's, totally. there's a girl that I tr- 
trying to get one of her day catches and I wake up 7 a.m. on the dot and like refresh the page and then already in two minutes, within a minute, it's already sold out. What day catcher? It's it's this beautiful like crystals and like, you know, Uh, when the sun catches, when like the suns go onto the crystals and then lights come out of it. And the dream catchers. No, no, no. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a pretty little thing. And she, you know, I've been trying to get one for three or four months now. And every time she sells out and she does her sale, like once, you know, once a month or sometimes twice a month, depending on how many she's made. And she sells out within one minute. And I've calculated she makes about 30,000 USD, if not more from that one from from that one minute of sales every month you know that's a business yeah totally i thought you were gonna i was just gonna say she should raise her her prices but it sounds like she's already got it she's got it good she's got it good so looking at pico bags so i love that you launched on earth day Mm -hmm. (laughs) so as we mentioned before they're reusable foldable bags that are created from regenerated textiles so I guess, like, my question is, when you first had that kind of aha moment, do you remember what the next step was? Mm-hmm. Was it, like, I'm going to create the domain? Was it, you know, logo? Was it brand strategy? Mm-hmm. It was – so I had this – I it was really a light bulb moment, and I had this idea around, like, I think it was 11.30 at night or just turning midnight, and I had shot up out of bed, and I was like <gasps> – what if I made tote bags out of recycled plastic bottles? And so, and then I was like, oh my God, and my mind started racing. I could do this and this and the prints and da, 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 da. And I think like coming from a design background, I was thinking of the aesthetics yeah. and the, and the print campaign and the, and the messaging and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I really had to like quiet my mind being like, you are not going to look it up right now. You are going to look tomorrow. You will wake up tomorrow morning and you will look. I think the first place I went to was start sort of searching to see if this product existed. So I always sort of look at the competition and just sort of identify what is it about them that works really well and what doesn't yeah. work well and what do, what would it make it's them amazing. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And so the first one was definitely looking at the competition and then it was starting to look at suppliers and just roughly see costing wise to mm-hmm. see if this is even viable. So I went on Alibaba and like, you know, also Googled like, okay, what certificates do I need to get for like ethical manufacturing? What kind of certificates are there that proves that they're recycled fabrics? Can I get to these factories to go monitor production? Will they allow me to go monitor production? So the first things were definitely about sort of sourcing the background of it before it was a complete product Mm -hmm. and then I think like also just you know starting to think about the brand story which I think that a lot of entrepreneurs tend to forget about they go straight to product it's cool it'll sell this is how much profit I'm going to make, blah, 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 blah. And for me, I never started it as a profit. In fact, I launched it and I was like, oh, it's just a passion project. If someone wants to buy a bag. And so, but I had such good traction from it, but I think that it wasn't necessarily the product that really sells itself. It's it's the story behind it, yeah. which is 
I think so important for every business now. Everyone's looking at the behind the scenes mm-hmm. of every brand, uh, yeah. brand and sussing them out and who are the co-founders and what are the controversies they possibly have gone through. Yeah. So it was solidifying the brand story. Mm-hmm. And I think, I guess, you know, you having your own Instagram following as well, you're able to tap into your mm-hmm. personal brand and kind of align that, right? Would you say that's kind of helped a lot in terms of compliments and pico bag absolutely i think that was really lucky for me and that's why i think a lot of influence end up starting their own business as well it's it's such a privilege to already have an audience however i never you know before i launched it i was like oh yeah they're they're gonna buy it i didn't have that confidence but then like it was great and i still have sort of followers being like oh by the way i bought your bag and i want to get some more and stuff and this is another part of business, right? Building your customer base. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly as well, I I think at the beginning, a lot of the customers sort of possibly came from my Instagram, yeah. but then a lot of customers didn't. They purely found PicoBag through its own Instagram, which is strange. And I think it's got like maybe like 3,000 followers or something yeah. like that in comparison to what I have on my personal one. And it's just also means that people are possibly looking for these products. Mm, I was through Google and such. Yeah. And I think I was very lucky to have launched a sustainable brand at the time that I did. Because mm-hmm. now it's kind of like boom. Yeah, totally. Everybody's sustainable. Everyone has the sustainable section on their website. Yeah, yeah. It's like a given for any brand. Whereas you were kind of the first mover especially in Singapore, which mm. is a bit behind, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of some other cities, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. What do you think has been the hardest thing throughout the whole process? What was all the most <sighs> frustrating thing? Production. I was going to say, I feel it's, like it would be suppliers. It's the what? It's... How did you know which supplier to use in China? Have <sighs> you seen, you know, Shay Mitchell? Yes. So she has her, her bays. Yeah. yeah, I she, love, love she, her. She goes to China. Yes. She's like looking for all of these Zips and there's so many and it's just like how do you even know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was wanting to go over to China to oversee production that was always a plan yeah. and I wanted to go over there with my videographer we're gonna you know take videos and stuff but unfortunately you know people do warn you about manufacturing in China I've currently changed my manufacturing now to producing in Nepal as of the next collection, which is great. However, my production was that they were, they were fine. And I had great, had a good communication for most of the part, Mm -hmm. but then also there's parts where they really miss it and, or the quality control because they're just making mass production. You know, I would check every single Pico bag and I would, Mm -hmm. this is wrong. This is wrong. This is a loose thread. I can't give this to a customer. This has a random stain on it. What is this? You know what I mean? And, and it's, that's the issue when you go for mass production, like you're really, you, you lose the quality. Exactly. Yeah. You also have to really monitor the quality. So with Shay Mitchell's episode, she's lucky because she had some, someone on the ground to sort of oversee that production. And so a lot of people do get, I think you call it a maybe like a, a localization. Yeah, like a local yeah. consultant for yeah. quality control to just make sure everything is smooth. It also helps having someone that, you know, speaks the language so nothing gets, you know, mistaken yeah because if they make a mistake they're gonna blame you and they're not gonna give your money back and i have definitely gone through that they stuffed up one of my corporate orders and just 
thank God the corporate like company were like, oh, you know, it's it's a small mistake. It's just on the mini bag. It's okay. We we understand and we actually follow your Instagram and we we under we know that you're really authentic and we know that you really yeah. care. And I'm like, oh my god. Thank you. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's the issues with production. There's just so many horror stories you hear. And so, as of now, you know, I've been sort of searching for a new production for the last eight months to a year. But before I found that production, I sampled with many different companies. So I wanted to make it in Bali, but the pricing wasn't right. It was going to cost like $15 a bag or something USD to make one bag. And I was like, I'm trying to sell it for like $13 and then try to make it in. I got a sample in Vietnam, MOQ is too high, made a sample in Taiwan. Their dying methods are the cost is just too high. Thailand, you know, and then multiple companies in China as well. And the fabric wasn't the best quality or something like that. So developing the product really took a while, but definitely choosing your production is like the most important part. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I guess obviously managing that demand and supply, I've always thought, I mean, they always say that production Product-based businesses are tense, are so much harder than mm. service-based businesses mm-hmm. because you have to manage the constant supply chain in a way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, God, that's, that's crazy. So you've moved oil production to Nepal now. Yes. And they ticked all the quality costs. Kind of yeah, so we're going through the current area. sampling product because we're going to be sort of changing the fabric feel. We're also going to make at least two more other products as well just mm-hmm. to sort of diversify the the range a little bit bigger. Yeah. And yeah, like even for example, so they basically hire women who've gone through human trafficking, who've gone through rehabilitation, giving them jobs mm-hmm. with the waste on the floor from the excess fabric. They sell it to a local company who shred it up and make it into mattresses so there's no waste. So for anyone who's about to start like a product based company, you know, it's, it's difficult and it's when you sort of want it for a cheaper price and you're, you're not making so much of a high premium product. That's Mm -hmm. when it's a bit tough and and you have to really consider the costs. Yeah. And being part of the circular economy and stuff, Mm. it's like no longer just best quality Mm -hmm. products at all costs. Mm -hmm. Like how do you make it regenerative and everything? There's so many other things to think about. And like coming on to that, I kind of now want to focus a bit more on, I guess, sustainability as a whole and conscious living Mm -hmm. and look at the global plant-based food category. Mm. I know this is a big area that you know a lot about. So the global plant-based food category is actually predicted to hit 85 billion by 2030, which is insane. And also the global organic beauty markets, like clean beauty, Mm -hmm. is also expected to reach 54 billion by 2027. You know, and despite the kind of, despite COVID, I feel like a lot of people have started to invest more in their wellness journeys and be able to, I don't know, just like have time to read their product labels, mm-hmm. and, you know, be at home. And and so it's really interesting to see how a lot of new clean beauty and plant-based food products will start to really pop up, if mm-hmm. not already. Mm. So I would, my question to you is, I'd love to hear more about your journey and exploring more non-meat alternatives, because I know... You've been to a few events and you were recently selected to be one of the first in the world to try a lab-grown chicken Mm -hmm, meat, mm -hmm. which is in the form of chicken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, tell us a bit more about this and why we should be concerned about the meat industry as consumers. Yep. So... 
obviously one of the biggest polluters in the world is meat. And I, I think like, I think we're just going through, you know, this sort of new season, which is great of waking up, you know, even when it comes to, you know, beauty products or meat products, or even just looking at different brands, like everyone wants to know the behind the scenes of a brand being like, but who made this? Where does it come from? What ingredients does it have? And so, you know, even thinking about the devastation of what crops do, a lot of, you know, people like, oh, but you know, you drink soy milk, but that's really bad for the environment because of the crops and how much land it takes Mm. up and water it takes up and whatnot. And it's actually like a lot of the soy, a lot of the corn that's produced is there to feed livestock. And, and just, you know, it's, it's, it's devastating. Like I, I hope that, you know, I tend to sort of have meats if I go to a restaurant on an occasion, but I never really have it at the house. Mm. I don't buy meat products for the house unless, you know, one day I might have takeaway or something like that. And my boyfriend wants chicken or whatever, but I, you know, you just sort of get a bit more picky about what you want to put in your body. And so the plant-based movement, yeah, certainly is huge. And even thinking about when I first moved to Singapore and wanting to find somewhere that has gluten-free bread or an alternative milk, they just didn't have it. They didn't yeah, know what it was. And now five and a half years later, they're like, yep, yeah, what do you want? Oat milk? Do you want cashew milk? Do you want soy milk? Yeah, do, you, yeah. do you want, you know, and it's incredible. And it just shows how fast everybody is like demanding it. I think that the meat industry is, you know, I think that lab grown meat is definitely going to be the future. I just don't think people want to give up meat. They're just so used to it. And you, especially in places, say like America, it's cheap. You're changing a habit. Yes. Yeah, the alternative is really inconvenient. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's just, you know, when they have the plant-based meat, like it's just not to their standards of taste. It's just they Mm -hmm. prefer normal meat. Mm -hmm. So what's the way for people to be able to still indulge in having meat but not have to kill animals? Mm -hmm. And so I think like, you know, even with the plant-based meats like, you know, Beyond and impossible. And I tend to have it about, you know, at least once a week or so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, another thing that people also say, like, oh, but you know, they're really high in sodium. So eventually like we do sort of start to have to move away from super preserved foods, mm-hmm. but it's so necessary for what devastation we've done to sort of the fishing industry, you know, seaspiracy really yeah. woke us up, you know, and then the livestock and just meat industry, like we just can't be selfish human beings like this anymore. It's, it's really to that point where it's enough. I think that good meat is a really interesting brand. So I went to two of their events mm-hmm. and so for meat just took our fires the lab grown. Yes. Right yes. So basically this chicken is right now, the only form of it has been approved, which is a chicken nugget in Singapore. Mm-hmm. However, they have the ability to make a chicken breast. They have wings. They're able to make, you know, thighs. They're able to make, wings, the I don't That's know exactly, but like even red meat, you know, they're yeah. able to make it. And it's serious. It's just a single, cell that you can brush off a feather Mm 
without hurting the animal that they are able to cultivate in a bioreactor and it grows. And so the first place that they launched it, we went to the event, which was amazing, 1880. Oh, yeah. And next door, they were saying, is the Intercontinental Hotel. And they were saying that the whole Intercontinental Hotel in Robertson Key, if that was filled with bioreactors, they would be able to feed the whole of Asia. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Like The whole of Asia. The whole of Asia. That's insane. Yeah, and and it's just sort of like this is this is the future. We don't have enough land. We yeah. are killing the land. So we're all going to have to sort of find ways where how do we create mass food but in a compact space. Mm. Singapore is interesting because obviously they're starting to do a lot of hydroponic system type of, you know, what is that, farming in car parks. They have like... Oh, you mean like the kinky cows? Like yeah, that? you know, they, they have... Like kind of lab-grown yeah, vegetables. Yes, exactly. Like yeah. yeah, and I think like that's the way it is for the future and that's also going to be the way it is for like meat, mm. for sure. I think that's the best way to kind of deconstruct it is obviously the macro level on, you know, like you watch documentaries that see cows grow and there's a few other ones. It's very much looking at the macro level. But then how do you trickle that down to the micro level of individual like people do care that everyone has a strong heart for the environment mm-hmm. but to actually make that change it's like it's like people who people care about looking good but whether they exercise it's, it's not you know going to be that care may not be a strong enough motive mm-hmm. for people to change and alter their habits mm-hmm. so what do you think the solution is i think part of it's obviously education and mm-hmm. like you sharing and explaining why it's so bad because mm-hmm, again mm-hmm. we don't know but how do we really yeah make that those small tiny shifts i mean i think it's people which is i think the core of what i always saw with my business it's convenience right how do we change people in a way that it's effortless for them mm-hmm. that they don't have to do much if they've approved you know the chicken nugget why can't mcdonald's replace all their chicken nuggets with this lab grown chicken nugget which mm-hmm. is literally pretty much exactly the same you know, it tastes, it's, it's a chicken. It's a solid piece of chicken grown in like a little plastic thing. So it's, you know, government sort of one, I think taxing meat for the fact that a coffee these days can be more expensive than buying some chicken breast or something. You know, that's not logical. We don't live in a logical world right now with how things are priced. How do you price a life form? And, you know, I guess it's because you can't really, you can't really package raw chicken in like a beautiful, or you can, but mm-hmm. like it's raw. Whereas a coffee, it could be like the brand, there's a lot mm-hmm. of royalty mm-hmm. packaging. I don't know. It's, it's but it, but it's, yeah. it's milk and coffee. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, really, definitely. I just think that like, so meat definitely has to be priced higher to deter mm-hmm. people away from it. And then you're seeing a lot of these plant-based meats, their prices are going down right now. The good meats were saying that their chicken is chicken nuggets are, you know, slightly high, but I think it's just because of, they don't have enough demand right now. And right. it's, it's still already very still very, they're still very new, yeah. but they are able to eventually get it down. So it's cheaper than meat. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're trying to do with a lot of these plant-based meats mm-hmm. as well. So I think it's, you know, Cost yeah. yeah, but it's a, it's a, how do you get people to adopt this alternative, which is better for the planet, mm-hmm. better for your health, better for 
I mean, everything really, but how do you change them? So it's convenient. So they don't need to think about it twice. And they're like, Oh, great. Yeah, I'll have that. Whereas right now the reaction is grab grown me. Yeah. No, so you know, yeah. It's like when yoga first came out, really. Mm-hmm. How do we make something like this mainstream? You know? Yeah. But I do think there's a huge shift, like globally, in consciousness, you know, in all different elements, not mm-hmm. just in the food and FMB industry. But yeah, I guess that brings me on to my next question and looking more so in beauty and skincare. You know, as a model yourself, you're probably always trying so many different beauty products mm-hmm. and skincare products. And you recently shared a lot of brands under the clean beauty section in Sephora. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know what your favorite sustainable brands have been recently to shop for. Skincare, but like toiletries, yep. some in fashion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for skincare, I have found this brand. I really love oils because I have quite dry skin. Mm-hmm. And there's a brand, a lot of them are actually in the US. So I'm very excited to go there and explore yeah, a lot of the them. They really, yeah, they really do. And so there's this one called Osea and it's a mother who started the brand and she has, I believe it's three daughters who now work for the brand as well. And they kind of came up with it as like this sort of family secret recipe and it's all to do with seaweed and I think algae as well. So it's, you know, really simple packaging in glass and very clean and it's, I think just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's the best. Mm. I think I sort of started on clean beauty because being an influencer, you get a lot of products and, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning it's like, wow, like SK2 and La Mer and like, yeah. you know, all these brands that you are like, oh, I'll buy it, you know, one day when I'm going through duty free, like if I want to splurge. And I was getting all these products, but then I was just getting so overwhelmed being like, why do I need a toner? Why do I need a mist? Why do I need a moisturizer? You know, so I wanted to really simplify my skincare routine down. And so that's why I really started looking to clean beauty as well, because, you know, skin being your biggest organ in your body, you really have to think about what's yeah, in it. So Osea is my favorite skincare so far. I have a favorite makeup brand called Ilia. Their foundation is amazing. It feels like I'm not wearing anything mm-hmm. at all. And yep, they're a clean makeup brand, which I think is also going to be a huge industry. And you're yeah, going to see a lot of sure. makeup going towards that as well. Then for toiletries, I always only buy bamboo toilet paper because bamboo takes only, I believe, is it th- three to five years or three to five months? It's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I it's it, you know Less I think it's time. yeah I think it's either three to five months or three to five years to grow to mature and it's a regenerative regenerative plant which just keeps you know sort of growing right, right. whereas a tree to mature takes 12 plus years and to think about how we chop a tree down who's been alive for 12 years growing Mm. to simply make something to wipe our bums like you know or like to use to to scribble on or it's just also something that's used so wastefully that's something we need to also stop using like paper we need to look at different alternatives and bamboo is huge sustainable Mm. material that it that's really getting a lot of traction. I think that's going to be everywhere. Yeah. Hmm. What else? I mean, I think it's just more. And then the rest of the stuff is really just going for the refilleries to, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. stock up on like dishwashing liquid and whatever, mm. avoiding buying another plastic bottle with something in it. And then looking at deodorants, 
as well and shampoo bars as mm-hmm. alternatives but it, it's been really fun sort of just exploring so right now I'm definitely still in the exploring stage of sort of trying to find the brands that I really advocate mm-hmm. and I love sort of documenting it on my Instagram and yeah it's just about finding the right one yeah, interesting and you shared what I thought was like amazing the EWG skin mm-hmm. website mm-hmm. so you can basically it's just, you know, if you go on ewg.org, mm-hmm. you can put in any product name mm-hmm. and it tells you, it's like the the pollution levels and how... Toxicity levels. Yeah, toxicity, what else? It was like a lot of interesting stats actually. Yeah. So I always use it whenever I get, you know, even when I, Sephora dropped some clean beauty things, I still, I still looked it up because <laughs> I was still like, is this? really because it smells like watermelon I feel like that's fragrance so basically what it does it rates it from I think the best label is EWG verified and then it's one two which is green and then three four anything below four is meant to be fine but I try to go for the greens which is one or two or EWG verified everything above that will sort of it'll break down what ingredients it has and what ingredients are toxic and why Mm -hmm. so it's the perfect sort of database for anybody to sort of look it up if they're interested in clean beauty interesting yeah no it's it's really really cool because I've always wondered even Sephora like how do they you know what criteria do they use to classify Mm. their products Mm-hmm. They're not producing them themselves. Yes. Skin beauty, right? Yeah. So it's always interesting. You always have to go beyond the label. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just like moving on to some more kind of personal questions before we wrap up. You know, obviously you've been working in the entertainment industry for just over four years now, and you probably had met so many different people, and you know, you get some really eccentric personalities mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry, as you know. My question to you is, how have you stayed true to the core of who you are whilst working in this industry? And what is the one thing, what is the one way that you keep doing to get to know yourself as an individual? Mm -hmm. I love self-development. So that's something that I've always been interested in since I was like, you know, 14 going to bookstores and I'd always go to the self-help section. I just love the psychology no, behind people. I'm oh. big junkie. I think in Kino, there's a bookstore here called Kinoku. Mm, Kinoku, yeah. 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 And they don't call it self-help. They call it like self Yes. yes, 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 yes. And I was like... And there's like new age spirituality. Yeah. The, the, the topics for the, you know, sections hilarious. It's so funny. There I'm like, I am proud to be in the self-enrichment section. Whereas like back in Australia, it was like self-help. And I'd be like, oh my God, no one, no one recognized me. Dating 101. But yeah, so I think... I think for me, it was just being really interested in self-development and the psychology. And I think, you know, being in this, you know, entertainment industry, as of a lot of industries, you're going to come across a lot of insecure people Mm -hmm. and sort of also being aware that it is, there are parts of it that can be superficial or, you know, very competitive. So trying to sort of work out, okay, who's authentic and who is not. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about who's authentic and who is not, and you, you can, see it really easily you also think about okay how what about me is authentic mm-hmm. i think that you know when i've rebooked with you know the same type of clients which i've had such a you know such a grateful career here with it i know i'm getting booked because people like working with me mm-hmm. i'm a pleasant person to work with yeah. and i just try really hard and i think even when it comes to modeling i'm 31 and i'm still Uh, still you know booking jobs like commercials and stuff and 
I What's I'm grateful. Age when you kind of stop looking. Uh, I feel like people in Asia look slightly younger as well. True, 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 true. I feel like by your thirties, people are like, oh, I'm. You know, right, if you right. think about a model still modeling in her thirties, you think, oh. From outside perspective, that's yeah. too old yeah, and stuff. Like yeah, you meet them and then you're, you're they're fourteen, you know, and stuff like that. And so I'm just like, oh, I'm I'm thirty one. <laughs> okay, lady. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, like going back to it, it's because like you just become a pleasant person to work with. They know you. They know they're not going to get any surprises from you and you just radiate, mm. radiate authenticity. Mm. So, yeah, I think that sort of making sure you know who you are, not getting caught up in the the cattiness or the competitiveness of the industry and just being very focused on what your goal is, is how to really survive. Mm, interesting. And my next question for you is what is one tool that you tend to influence? What is one tool I tend to do? You know what? I'm a stress head. I get migraines and like sometimes I don't even know when I'm stressed, but I'll have a migraine. So magnesium. I found it. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, that's your Australian company. They're called Wellness Relief Co. They have, it's almost like a ginger roller. Oh. Like, that you put on your forehead. Mm-hmm. But that's obviously to relieve the pain. But mm. they also have these supplements which you can take to mm-hmm. improve your overall health. Because the migraine is not just in the head. It's like we were talking about the same world. Mm. It's really built up from tension mm. to the body and then it built those mm-hmm. travels up to the, the head, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to up your, it usually means your magnesium deficiency. Yep. <laughs> Gotta get that magnesium then. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to get a lot of migraines definitely when I'm stressed and mm-hmm. definitely it's, you're right. It's, it's always tension built up and it's the pressure you put on yourself. Like, you know, so I, Gotta say, you know, it's people. That's your friends. That's really your lifesaver. Mm-hmm. I think like talking it out with someone and really being vulnerable with someone and getting advice from your friends. Like I've been so lucky to have friends in the same industry, but never have any issues of say, you know, jealousy, competitiveness, whatever. Like it's always been a, oh, you go up, we'll always help. Or I can't do this job. Do you want this job? You know? And so relying on your friends being communicative and being open and vulnerable and getting your advice from people who are your expanders Mm -hmm. is to me the greatest relief. And this is why therapy is like huge and totally normal for people these days. I love that word expanders. It's mm. like, who are your expanders? Mm. I think it's so hard though. I think obviously friendship takes time, especially when you move around a lot or you mm-hmm. travel and you don't get that time to really get rooted and develop those deep relationships. But I always see friends as like, it's like you want to get the highest return on investment. Mm-hmm. There's no point having lots of friends for developing deeper relationships with mm. a small selection and a small few, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm intrigued to know what your morning routine is like. <laughs> uh, it's 6.30, my cats wake me up. <laughs> we have two, oh. but like Bandita's just so loud. So he wakes us up at 6.30, like bites our toes, bites our face, <laughs> makes sure like we are up oh to God. feed him. So I tend to wake up and then 
I go on my balcony and we have this beautiful view out. Like we live very close to Botanic Gardens. So we're like really near the greens. And so I kind of listen to like see the sun coming up and waking up really early, I think is so important because whenever I've woken up late and I haven't done enough, I, I tend to beat myself up about it, yeah, which isn't great. So I think it's like, even if it's waking up at 6 and not actually starting to do any work until 10, I just know I've woken mm, up. Yeah. I've already accomplished so much. You know, I'm like, I made a coffee, yeah, you know, totally. all that kind of stuff. So that was actually the thing. yeah, my thing is definitely waking up my body and mind very slowly at its mm-hmm. own sort of pace. Sometimes I'll start earlier. Sometimes I'll start later. And then it's, yeah, just kind of having a coffee and being like, let's, let's go world. (laughs) I think, yeah, just kind of waking up slowly and making sure your, yeah, your mind and your emotions Mm. are kind of woken up to, Mm -hmm. gotten out of that unconsciousness. Mm. I just remember, sometimes I look back to my life living in London. Like when I first moved to London, like post uni, I would have been what, like 21, 22. And I would literally roll out of bed. I would like snooze probably 10 times and roll out of bed, just like brush my teeth, pretty like change and get out and just so rushed mm-hmm. and, like, and then get on the tube mm-hmm. and commute for like half an hour and then wonder why I hated my life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. why I, cause I've never been really a morning person in my whole family. I've always been night owls and mm-hmm. grow up. I think I wish my parents were morning people and they kind of ingrained that in me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So that it kind of, that habit was just, came natural, mm. you know. But yeah, it, it definitely makes all the difference, for sure. So, last couple of questions. What is one book you'd recommend to a friend and why? Oh, Everybody needs to get this book. Have you heard of Simon Snick? Yes. yes okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His book, Start With Why, is a must, must, must for yeah. anybody. You know, I don't think it's even just about anyone who wants to start a business. If you're starting a business, this is the book to start with. But even just in life in general, thinking mm-hmm. about starting with why as a self-development sort of mm-hmm. tool is mm-hmm. so important. So that is like number one favorite. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's super topical, especially now given that everyone's kind of been in like lockdown, mm-hmm. hasn't been able to travel. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the world like opens up, we're going to be like, what, how, where? Yeah. And it's like, no, actually we're going to be distracted. We're going to be like overwhelmed distractions. I could just see this, big, mm-hmm. you know, crazy, you know, rise where people are just going to have so many options and things to do. But, but I think it's also, they're going to be like just more, conscious they're like okay what do I really want to do mm-hmm. not yeah. like let's just go to Bali for the weekend mindless yeah. oh we'll just book this villa oh blah 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 blah. you yeah, know I yeah. feel like travel kind of became not as much of a luxury anymore just be like yeah whatever I'll do this and Good now yeah. when you travel it's going to be like your heart's going to be I jumping know. out of your chest you're going to yeah. be looking out the window you're like oh my god look we're in the sky <laughs> like it's going to be so nice. I was just thinking about being at the airport last night. I don't know why, but even the thought of being at the airport mm-hmm. just, like, got me so excited. And the announcements and stuff, you're like, oh, <laughs> my God. so long, yeah. Aww. Okay, final question. If you could have a billboard with your own quote posted on it, what, what would it say? I think, personally, I've always gone by be your own hero and reflecting on my life and all the risk taking that I did as a kid and just like where I, where I've been able to build myself and how I've ended up here. It's always been 
me believing in me and knowing that I have to, I mean, that's a fundamental thing, right? If you don't believe in yourself, it's not going to happen. So for me, I think I've always said like, be your own hero. No one's going to come save you. No one's going to like tread you along. It's always going to be you and like your foot walking and getting yourself there. That's going to get you there. It's like, don't play the victim, but take responsibility of your life. Yeah. And just, yeah, just be, be confident be you and like be the superhero you want to be mm. you'll get there so true i love that mm. thank you so much no worries thanks for having me conversation Eureka. really sad that you're leaving i know <laughs> i'll get you to new york one day i feel like i'm definitely i would love it yeah i'm definitely a new york person mm-hmm. but thank you so much if our listeners want to find you where, where can they find you they can find me on my instagram at yumika hoskin or a I'm not really on TikTok. I'm going to try get on TikTok. And yeah, I'm hoping to launch my personal website soon with all my recommendations for eco products. So eventually That's you'll really see cool. me on, yeah, on yeah, my own nice. website. And Pico Bag. We'll put all the links in the show notes, but it's just picobag.com. Right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.